Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this 1st of June, 2023. If you haven't visited us lately at MyFaithRadio.com, I invite you to do so and connect with us there and all the great resources we have available. If you've never connected with us at MyFaithRadio.com, we've also got a welcome pack that we'd love to send to you. So check that out, MyFaithRadio.com. You might be thinking, I just got a lot of problems. I mean, the reality is we've all got lots of problems. I mean, it's it's challenging days in which we live. And so have we got problems? Yes. Have we got God? Like that is um, not like, have you got him? Like, you know, you control him or anything, but like, are you aware of God? Are you acknowledging God? Are you living in the fullness of his grace? Are you relying on him? Are you turning to him? Are you foregrounding the perspective of God in in terms of all that's going on in the world today? Are you seeking first the king and the kingdom? Um, so I I lift that up because there are a couple of headlines today related to the crisis of homelessness across the country here in the United States of America. And I just want to um, invite us as Christians to consider how God might be calling us to, I don't know, lean in in, in new and different ways, um, recognizing God's perspective on um, these precious people. So California, um, I'm reading this morning, is seeking to house homeless people, particularly in San Diego, in hotels. And in order to house um, the population of people that they're seeking to get off the streets, they're looking to buy a number of hotels, Um, The city would be buying these hotels at a cost which would ultimately be like $400,000 per room, $400,000 per room. And so I just I just look at that and I say to myself, okay, it seems to me that for $400,000 per person, because it's one person per room in terms of uh, the way this housing project would work. So if you're going to spend $400,000 per person. I feel like there's a better solution than hotel rooms. I mean, in many parts of our country, $400,000 would not just buy a house, but an acre of land where a person could not only live, but make a life and make a living in dignity, growing their own food, making a real life, um, having, uh, having, you know, a little space to roam. And I understand that the, the wraparound services that would be needed are many. People would need a community to support them in such a transition. Um, They would need life skills and addiction recovery support, mental health services. They would need neighbors and friends and what yesterday we talked about as a forged family. But doesn't all of that sound an awful lot like the church? Guess what else America has in abundance? Churches. It just feels to me like there are opportunities for the church to be the church today in ways that we're missing. 
Yes, it would take time, but whose time is it anyway? And yes, it would take resources, but whose resources are they anyway? What might we be called to do for the least of these among us today? Homeless families with kids and kids who have no families at all and widows who are losing their homes and incarcerated men and women who have done their time and now need real opportunities to make a new life on the outside. I mean, we see them. We know they're there. But do we love them like God loves them? We see them, but do we know their names and their stories and how they ended up where they are and where they want to go next? Like the future filled with hope that they want to live into? Do we know their hurts and their dreams? Now, I'm not saying that I I have all the answers or even actually any of the answers. What I'm saying is that um, God has supplied amply to meet the needs of the world. He has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. The resources exist for every person to live a life worthy of life. And when I say that, a life worthy of life... What might ring in your memory is the phrase that came out of Nazi Germany's awful Holocaust, which was a life unworthy of life. Some people regarded other people as having life that was unworthy of life. And the people whom the Nazis deemed unworthy of life were subjected to all kinds of dehumanizing and torturous experiments in the quest for a better life for those who considered themselves and their kind worthy of life. So God considers every life worthy of life, every life precious, every person fearfully and wonderfully made, every life God gives as a life worthy of life. And so our task as Christians in the world today is to lead lives that are worthy of the gospel, not lives that the world necessarily celebrates by its measures, but ones that are worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And so I just lift this up today um, to us for consideration. Um, What do the standards of behavior look like for people who are alive today because of Jesus and who are living today on behalf of and for Jesus and the advancement of his gospel purposes in this generation? I'm not standing in judgment here because um, I'm, I'm just convicted that Jesus remains the answer for the world today. And those of us who know him I mean, we got to figure out how to lean into the realities of darkness and shine light. All right, we'll uh, continue that conversation um, in the days and weeks to come. Vanitha Reisner is joining us now, and we're going to talk about how questions can strengthen our faith. She's the author of Walking Through the Fire and the creator of Helping the Hurting. So how can questions strengthen our faith today? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Vanitha Reisner is joining us now. Vanitha, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's great to be here, Carmen. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, let's uh, let's talk about questions. How can questions strengthen our faith? Well, Carmen, I think questions, asking God questions, strengthens our faith because we are going to Him with what is hard. And I feel like one of the biggest struggles that Christians have is they think they can only say good things to God. Like, um, you know, praise you, God. Thank you for all the wonderful blessings we have. But when we're in pain, I think people pull away from God because they don't know what to do. And yet we see modeled in the Bible 
that people, when they're struggling, they ask God questions. They go directly to him. And we see in every case that strengthened people's faith. I don't I don't recall seeing in the Bible anybody who went directly to God and asked him questions whose faith was not strengthened, who, who wasn't somebody that um, felt really close to God. So it's the opposite of what we think, Carmen. We think, oh, if we ask questions, and that's what I thought in my own suffering, I, I shouldn't ask God questions. I shouldn't be frustrated. I should just you know, sort of handle this on my own if I'm upset. And I found that pulled me away from God. And daring to ask God questions is really what strengthened my faith. It's probably easy for some of us, uh, Vanitha, to think of the questions that people asked of Jesus. Um, and and at least the one question that Jesus asked mm-hmm. of the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, like those are some easy questions maybe that come to mind when we think about the scriptures. Um, maybe give us some uh reminders here, like, you know, what did Moses ask or Gideon or Job or David? Like, what are some of the questions that help us see the validity of people of faith asking honest questions of God and just like recognizing that God welcomes that? Yeah. Well, Moses said um, when God sent him to um, deliver the people, at first, you know, they didn't, when with Pharaoh, all these plagues came and they the Israelites were under a lot of oppression because of Moses. And Moses sort of says to God, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? And that's Exodus 5.2. Gideon's first question when the angel of the Lord comes is, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And I love that question because I think that's the question we all ask. If God is with me, if God loves me, why has all this happened? Job has pages and pages of questions. One is, why is life given to those with no future? Those God is surrounded with difficulties. And that's Job 3. David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And and I've said that. I felt forgotten by God. Elijah tells God, take away my life. And this was after a huge victory but he was depleted and somebody was was after him. And he's like, I just want to die. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah asked God, do you really hate us? And, and as you mentioned, Jesus says to God, why have you forsaken me? And so all of these people have really gone to God and asked things, you know, Elijah, you know, take away my life that I think a lot of us wouldn't wouldn't think to ask God. And yet we see how God answers them. He doesn't ignore those questions. He doesn't answer them with taking away their life, but he answers them with with his presence. And so, and I think that's what God does when we bring our questions. We draw closer to him. Mm. God promises to draw close to those who draw close to him. So why don't you draw close to God today and just um, ask him the questions that are on your heart and in your mind and be confident that he not only welcomes that, but he's you know, God is ever gracious and he loves you. So we're going to return to our conversation with Vanitha Reisner here in just a moment. You can find her and the resources we're talking about at vanitha.com. Next up, have you ever felt desperate for hope? Maybe you feel desperate for hope right now. What does that look like? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. If you feel like, uh, you know, you can handle it all yourself, the time is definitely going to come when you find out you can't. Uh, Vanitha Reisner is here today walking through the fire. She's also the creator of Helping the Hurting. You can find all of the resources, Bible studies that Vanitha is working through right now at Vanitha.com. Vanitha, let's talk about um, the experience of desperation and... um, you have a piece posted right now at your website, Vanitha.com, that caught my attention. Have you ever felt desperate for hope? So maybe just walk us into this. I mean, particularly with the opening illustration, I mean, this like candle in the wind image from Moby Dick. Yeah, it's funny. Um, my husband has read Moby Dick. Full disclosure, I have never read Moby Dick. Um, but his one of his favorite lines is when this It's about a whale. Is, yeah, yes, it's about it's a whale and it's long. The whole thing is about harpooning this whale. Um, and he says it is the best novel. Um, oh. But this harpooner is kind of um, feeling hopeless. And they say he was holding on to one candle, hopelessly holding up hope in the midst of despair. And I do love that line because that's how we feel. Like we are trying to find hope really in the midst of desperation. And we think it's hopeless. Like we don't even know why we are even trying to do that. And I have felt that way many times in my life, Carmen, when, uh, I mean, the one that comes to mind the most recently, it was when my husband left our family and I had two adolescent daughters to raise and just felt like this is hopeless. I have post polio. I couldn't drive them places by myself very easily. And I really felt like my life and my world had fallen apart and there was no hope. There was no way out. And I kind of sunk into that hope at first, but then I I leaned towards God. And, and I do this, I use that term a lot because I feel like I lean away. I don't turn away, but I lean away and struggle. Like I don't want to look at God. I don't want to hope. And leaning towards him is just being willing to say, okay, I, I want to have hope. I want you to help me to even look at you. And something shifts when we do that, when we cry out to God in the midst of desperation. We see God's character. And it's funny, Carmen, because my life didn't change after, you know, kind of turning back to God or leaning back to God and saying, help me. But I had hope, even though nothing was different. And that hope was in God. Like, God, you're going to walk me through every single day And even though this looks horrible right this second, and I'm sure there's listeners right now who think my life looks horrible right this second, like there's no reason to hope. The wonderful thing is our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in God who will never leave us, who has good plans for us and recognizing we don't have to see signs of change to hope. And that has always been the thing that has shifted me in the midst of wreckage. 
And I love the fact that Habakkuk talks about hope in the midst of wreckage. Nothing is better. And yet he sees that we can hope in God. And so I think hope has nothing, and the Bible says it has nothing to do with what we see. Hope is what we don't see and trusting God in it. Um, Paul talks about this and Paul talks about, uh, talk speaks out of a context of, uh, of desperation, um, often imprisonment, certainly trials of many kinds. Um, maybe you've got a quote from Paul to share with us on this topic. Well, I love the fact that Paul says um, in Romans, nothing is impossible for the one who spoke the world into existence and calls, oh, actually, calls into existence things that do not exist. Let me just mm. quote that directly. That was my, my little um, uh, Venetha's paraphrase, which isn't really um, orthodox. So I'll do the, I'll do the okay. I, I sometimes refer to the, um, the, uh, the, the CLV, which is the Carmen LaBerge version. Because yes, I just acknowledge, exactly. like I'm, I'm. It's normally like it's not exactly a quote of a particular translation of scripture. It's the way that God wrote it on, you know, has written a passage on my heart. And so then I'll just confess. Well, that's this, that's the CLV you're hearing right now. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. So, um, well, Paul is talking about Abraham and his faith, and he says um, that um, Abraham, God. It says, I have made you the father of all nations. And this is before he had children. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In Mm. hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And I love that because Abraham hoped. And we see Paul talks about hope throughout the scripture, actually. There's so many amazing scriptures in Romans about hope. And he Paul says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for all, what he already has? And that's in Romans 8. And so Paul keeps telling us we don't have to see it because I think a lot of people, me particularly, feel like I can have hope if I see a shred of something. Like I can have hope that things are going to change if I see some evidence of it. And yet the Bible keeps telling us we don't need to see evidence to have hope. We can trust in God when there is nothing around us that looks hopeful. And that actually gives me a lot of hope, realizing I don't have to see it to know that God is working in it. Vanitha, when you think about people in your own life who, like, because of what you have seen and way, and the ways in which they have put their trust in um, in the faithfulness of God in the midst of desperate days, I mean, that's where I find so much like inspiration and even confidence is actually by the testimony of the lives of others. And Abraham is a good example of that. And Paul is a good example of that. Um, does it still happen today? Maybe that's the question that people have. And and you are a beautiful living example of this as well. So thank you for your living testimony um, of the hope of the gospel. But I guess I'm wondering, like, is there somebody that comes to mind um, where you know you can turn your attention and say that person's life of faith gives me hope. Yeah, I would say Johnny Erickson Tata, hands mm. down, is the person Amen. I look to. I am amazed at the way she turns to Jesus in the midst of real struggle. It's it's incredible. I mean, she's had cancer twice. She still takes cancer drugs every day. 
She has had major issues with her health on top of being a quadriplegic, I mean, lung issues. And yet she continues to say, it's a good day because I know that Jesus is with me. And I I am always amazed at her sense of hope in the midst of that. I interviewed her for this um, podcast I've started um, and it aired last week. And we talked about that, about this idea of finding hope when, when things are really hard and her day-to-day life is really hard. And I think it's easy for us to sort of romanticize it like, oh, she's well-known. She's written lots of stuff. Her everyday can't be that hard. And yet it really is. It's a struggle to even sit up and get out of bed when somebody, obviously she's a quadriplegic, so somebody is doing that for her. But to even have the courage to get out of bed and sit in a wheelchair and have a breathing machine and have all these straps put on, I mean, I think it takes more than an hour for some people to help her even get up and be ready. And she shows me that even when things are so hard, we can have hope in God even when we can't see what we're having hope in, we're having hope in Jesus and not that it's going to be a great day because it might be a really hard day. So she's my living example. And there's there's a lot of other people as well. But when I look, think about someone who has changed my life by the way they've hoped in God, it would be her. Mm. Um, all right. So that is triumphing over life's storms. Johnny's Testament to the Power of Faith. Um, You can find that uh, as one of Vanitha's podcasts. Her podcast is Desperate for Hope with Vanitha Reisner. You can connect with that from her website, vanitha.com, V-A-N-E-E-T-H-A.com. Thank you so much. What a gift to get to visit with you again today. And um, thank you for the inspiration of bringing Johnny's story to us again and Um, We look forward to listening to that conversation on your podcast. That's wonderful. Thanks, Vanitha. Oh, thanks, Carmen. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. When's the last time you wrote a letter? Like an actual handwritten long form letter. To whom did you write it? What was it about? Did you ever send it? I mean, I actually have letters that I've written that I never sent. Um, I sometimes will pen a letter to God. And you'll say to yourself, well, isn't that just like writing down your prayers? Um, isn't that just like journaling? Yeah, but if you actually put it in the form of a, of a letter where you're taking the time to, you know, address the person, you know, at the outset and and you've got a purpose for writing, like there's a there's an occasion. I mean, think about the the letters of the New Testament, like, right, there's an author, there's an occasion for writing, there is a, a, an intended audience, there's, um, there's a purpose for the letter to be written. And so when we're studying the scriptures, particularly when we're studying the letters, like, those are definitely questions that we should ask ourselves. Who wrote it? To whom was it written? What's the um, occasion of the letter? Like, if you're looking at the correspondence that Paul has with the Christians in Corinth, there's a back and forth going on there. And so sometimes Paul's addressing things in in that correspondence that they addressed in a letter that they sent to him, and we don't have that side of the conversation. So sometimes you have to like sort through what's going on in a letter that Paul wrote, like because the occasion for the letter was answering a letter he'd received. Well, anyway, I say all this because uh, 
Callie Logan has written a series of letters, love letters, in fact, and they're now put together in a book called Dear Future Husband, and it it drops today. The book um, is available today, and so just want to invite you into this experience of imagining what it would be like to start writing letters to your future husband when you were in high school, and then to continue even a decade later, continuing to write letters to your future husband. And waiting patiently for God to bring that person into intersection with the reality of your life. So next up, Callie Logan's going to join us. Dear Future Husband is the book, A Love Letter Journey from Single to Spouse. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Callie Logan is joining us now. You can connect with her at CallieLogan.com. This is an exciting day in Callie's life because today's the day. Dear future husband, love letter journey while waiting for God's best. Um, This book is actually now available to everybody. So happy launch day, Callie. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's wonderful. So um, waiting is one conversation that we could have. Um, and and we want to talk about waiting and the faithfulness of God in the midst of um, of waiting. But I just want to start with this, like love letters. Um, when I say love letters, like what what forms in our minds? What you know? What leaps up in our chest? Like, can you just talk a little bit about the subject matter of love letters? Yeah, I I am just such an old soul, but I think there's something so just beautiful about, especially handwritten letters. And I always think about, you know, back in World War II and, and kind of the sweethearts kind of thing, um, you know, of there, were, there being a distance, but still getting to connect via letter. And you think about times when, when texting wasn't a thing or email wasn't a thing. And with these letters in particular, you know, they're being written, but they're they're being saved to give one day um, because you're not getting that back and forth exchange. You're writing something to save and one day give as a gift. And so I, when I think of letters, I think of it just in that really pure uh, kind of message in the bottle way. So you've been um, writing letters to your future husband since high school. So Dear Future Husband is a series of letters. Um, Talk about when this process started um, and maybe why, and then the persistence of it over time. Yeah, I was around 18 when I started writing them. I was a senior in high school, just about to graduate, and I noticed how quickly life was changing. Um, And I remember sitting with a group of friends one night we had a slumber party and we were all talking about you know the guys at school and stuff and i and i shared i was like you know i just i'm curious about who we would marry one day you know and i remember feeling just a sadness with them because i it was really clear and evident that my husband i wasn't going to have a high school sweetheart story or anything like that um and i wanted to share the memories with him of everything that was changing because I knew by the time I met him, I would be a more mature version of me, but he would miss out on 18-year-old me and 19-year-old me and things like that. Uh, so I started just kind of journaling, but they they're, they became letters. Um, and I've always written journals my whole life. Um, so it was kind of like an extension format. Um, but I just kept doing it as like a habit. And so if I had an inspiration or at least once a month, I tried to write one. Uh, so yeah, that it hit like the 12-year mark uh, last month, actually. Yeah, that's pretty extraordinary. Um, so there's a lot of power in 
writing things down, especially when you're holding somebody in your heart and mind as you're writing. Um, how did, I mean, in 12 years, like, right, so how have those letters maybe changed along the way as you have changed, your life has changed, even your desires have changed? Yeah, um, they have changed a lot. I think even spiritually, just reading some of the letters, some of the things, like you said, like desires, um, my desires when I first started writing them were a lot more um, what I desired, what I wanted to see happen. I, I held the pen. Um, and over time, it was really intriguing to see how uh, that changed where I was submitting more to God. I was surrendering more areas of my life um, and then fully all of it to him, to what he was authoring. And I let him have the pen. Uh, so I think seeing that shift and that change over time, and then also just the maturity of the letters growing, where a lot of the early ones were just kind of um, bright-eyed optimism, but some of them were a little silly, you know, um, and then seeing them grow over time where I was really more praying specifically for for something in him or a discernment in him or um, seeing myself grow and sharing different aspects of that or some darker seasons in my own life. Uh, so it was neat to see me really grow up through the letters, rereading them too. Um, I, I think I want you to um, tell us about him. Because each one of the letters sort of encapsulates the letter, the lessons that you've learned along the way. But there's also this like adoration, um, praying for, uh, bringing into view this man who would one day be called husband. Can you tell us about him? Yeah, I I can't wait to meet him is, I think, the biggest thing. Um, I'm not married yet um, or engaged or even dating anybody right now, but I God placed it really heavily on my heart uh, years ago that one day I will be married. And I shifted from kind of this modge podge Frankenstein idea of somebody that I was putting together in my head, and I really asked the Lord, no, this is an actual person um, walking around living life. Lord, help me know how to pray specifically for this living, breathing person. And that was such a gift because through God either laying a scripture on my heart or just having me kind of notice things, I have begun to not make my own list of preferences, but see more of what God has been refining me and um, having me pray for and this person that I don't even know what his name is, you know? Um, so I'm grateful to pray for him even now, but it's been neat to see, and I can't wait to share with him, well, the Lord put this on my heart, but this is something that is important to you, or the Lord had me pray this specific scripture for a number of months for you, and I wrote it down the time period, so I don't know what was going on during that time period, but that verse was really impressed upon my heart, so it's it's kind of a fun mystery, uh, for, and I can't wait for the unveiling. Right. Yeah. And the unveiling. Uh, hopefully that is like, I hope that's like an, another book in the series, right? Because that would be really wonderful. Um, I like that you highlight the importance of praying for your future spouse. So let's take a very brief break. And Callie, when we come back, maybe walk us through this piece you even have posted right now at crosswalk.com about why it's important to pray for your future spouse. Um, that's a great part of this conversation about Dear Future Husband. It's Callie Logan's brand new book available today. And yeah, we're giving away copies today. So um, in order to enter the drawing for the copies of Dear Future Husband that we have to give away, you go to myfaithradio.com slash book 
myfaithradio.com slash book. Fill out the little entry form. And while you're doing that, um, Callie and I will prepare to be right back with a conversation about how important it is to pray for your future spouse. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Callie Logan is uh, an author. She's a U.S. history teacher. Um, She likes mentoring young women and spending time outside. You can check out her Instagram and her Twitter at Callie Logan. You can visit with her online and connect with her at CallieLogan.com. Her brand new book available today is Dear Future Husband, a love letter journey from... uh, Oh, I gotta re- I gotta read the correct title. I have it two ways in my notes, and I totally apologize. Dear future husband, a love letter journey while waiting for God's best. Um, Callie, that's because life is unpredictable and things change uh, uh, over the course of time, even titles of books. And so I apologize for tripping over that. Um, you're still waiting, and um, and you and you are gracious uh, to to talk about that. Um, let's let's answer this question that you have posted right now at a piece at crosswalk.com. Why is it important to pray for your future spouse? Yeah, I I love that question, and I loved writing that article a lot. I think it's important to pray because it's for one, it's a good habit to start even before you you know, you're married because when you are married, that's part of what I think it's more than just a nice thing to do for someone. I really, I believe that as a wife, it it's your duty to pray for your husband and, and to be that rib. And so I think if you are really intentional about wanting to be a wife one day. Um, it's important to pray for your future husband and to have that even added because prayer is communication it's communion with god and we're connecting in relationship with god so the more you're connecting in relationship with god and then you're also praying for this person that he will bring in you know one day you're getting more of god and then you're also have that beautiful opportunity to pray for this mystery guy and then when he is in your life you've already established that habit you've already established that practice um, and that you know rapport with god it's not something new that you're trying to figure out and so i do think it's important to just continuously be in prayer you know and that's it's not a you know over the top habit but i think every day just you know praying lord please bless him in this way or please help me be aware of how to pray for him because he is real and he's walking around and even though i don't know his name it doesn't mean he doesn't need my prayer it's so good um i'm i guess i find myself wondering if you've ever imagined that your future husband has been praying for you um writing letters to you even as you've been writing letters to him uh maybe I don't know, maybe I have like a sexist uh, thought there and I don't imagine there's a lot of young men out there doing that, but maybe, maybe there is one. Um, and wouldn't that be cool? That, oh my gosh, I I think I'd cry for a few weeks of like sheer joy, <laughs> but um, I do hope he prays for me. I think that would mean a lot to me. Just if he said, yeah, I've been praying for you for a long time, that, that would mean just as much as a stack of letters, but the letters would be nice too. Right. It's just like it's such a, yeah. I mean, you know, God is, God is so creative and, um, and so generous and faithful. Um, talk with us about, you know, the marriage you're already in, like, right. So we, we are members of the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ. 
Um, I, I think that this heavily influences your experience of your relationship with God because of this perspective and view that you have um, and have cultivated over the course of time. So maybe invite people um, into that as well. I mean, as you as you are waiting and continue to wait, you're already in the joy of being in love um, because of your relationship with God. I'm so glad you highlighted that. And I love how you phrased that too, because we forget that a lot. And it talks about in Isaiah how, you know, our maker is our husband as well, right? And so we're already, you know, when we decide to follow Christ with our life, you know, we are in that relationship. And that's not just a Sunday relationship. That's a daily relationship. That's a, a relationship that grows and has its different seasons and has, you know, its its highs and it has its lows and different pieces of it. And so I'm glad you highlighted that because I think realizing that that is that God is our first love that will never be replaced. So even when a spouse is brought in, that spouse is not meant to take the place of God. Uh, it's not meant to um, like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to let this person cut in and then everything else. But instead, you know, if, you know, hopefully they're a believer as well, um, you know, believe they would be, um, you know, coming together because they are part of the body of the bride of Christ as well. And, and serving our first love in God, first and foremost. So I want to um, encourage you. I want to uh, encourage you to ignore the naysayers, the people who tell you um, that your expectations are unrealistic. Um, I am one of those women who can attest to the fact that he is worth waiting for. Um, I didn't meet Jim, for whom I prayed um, for many years. I didn't meet him until after I was 40. Um, mm. And... Uh, let me just say that, I mean, we've been joyfully married now for 12 years. Um, Jim showed up with a lot of other people. So that was like one of the expectations I didn't have knit into my expectations of what my future husband would be like. Um, but he's my person. And so his people became my people, right? And one of the things that um, was just not only so attractive about Jim when I met him, but continues to be attractive today, is how fiercely he loves God first. And from the very beginning of our relationship, I mean, like one of the conversations is, I mean, I, I do not want to be his first love. He does not want to be my first love. I mean, I want to be a distant second to his love of God. And he wants, you know, he wants me to be a distant, you see what I'm saying? Like, I want to. Totally. I don't want to be anybody's first love. I definitely want to be a, des a distant second love um, yeah. to the passionate heart that he has for God um, and for the things of God and for the pursuit of God. And um, and so I want to encourage you um, when you're you know when your husband arrives, he may not look like you've anticipated. <laughs> he may um, he may arrive with a bunch of other people. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, my life is now kind of tribal. I have six kids and now, uh, four, you know, four kids because those four kids got married and now, you know, grandkids and, um, and I live on a farm, which was not a reality that I had anticipated either. Um, but I am so blessed. I'm so yeah. blessed. And I'm, uh, and so I just wanted to encourage you today, um, that, it may not come in the timing that you expect and or the package that you expect, 
um, or even with the with the people that you expect. But um, God is so good and so faithful. And I love this. I, I love that you're that you're living this. I mean, it's 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 such a blessing. It's such a fun blessing that you've shared it with everybody in the book. But I just love that it is the reality that you've been living for the past 12 years, just writing these letters and um, sharing with God what's on your heart about your future husband. It's just, it's such a precious project. And thank you for this window into your heart and life. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that so much. And thank you for those words. That, That really is encouraging. Dear Future Husband, it's available today. Um, it's a love letter journey while waiting for God's best. Callie Logan is the author. You can connect with her at CallieLogan.com. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies of Dear Future Husband that we have uh, to give away today, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com slash book and fill out uh, fill out that little entry form. MyFaithRadio.com slash book. Callie, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back and talk with us again. I would love that. Thank you. Yeah. And just go ahead and start outlining the book Unveiled or Unveiling. The Unveiling. I love it. I can't, I can't I hardly it. wait. I know. I know. Now you I'm too. anticipating it with you. All right. That's Callie Logan. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, I don't know what you got on tap for tonight, but uh, here's an option for you. The Scripps National Spelling Bee Finals are today, and you can actually, like, watch them. So um, I, I these kids inspire me. I'm a word person, and I and I love words. And so uh, I just, this is a, such an incredible event. Um, I'm, I'm challenged by it. I can't even read. I was going to, like, read to you the list of the, of the final round words from last year, but I can't even pronounce them. I mean, let alone spell them. So uh, it's, it's always inspiring and challenging to me to recognize just how bright and um, focused and, I don't know, fiercely disciplined some people are, and I don't. It inspires me. It gives me. It gives me hope for the future that there are kids like this out there in the world, and families like this, encouraging kids like this, and um, and the Scripps National Spelling Bee, you know, is a thing. And I don't know. These kids put in as much time as any professional uh, athlete does in terms of getting to the Final Four or getting to the World Series or whatever. And so, uh, you know, maybe maybe not. Um, maybe not a sport tonight, maybe a spelling bee, just just as a thought. Let's be praying for people who are going to be doing hard things today. That uh, that list is really long. Let's be praying today for people who are going to be doing hard things today, people who are going to go to hard places or have conversations or experience something hard um, or walk in a hard place or deal with a hardness of heart. Let's be praying today for God's tender mercies to flow. And then let's offer ourselves as conduits of that grace. What does it look like for us to be soft in hard places? What does it look like for us to be tender in hard conversations? What does that look like for you? How do you need it? From whom do you need it? And how can you be it in the life of someone else? Thank you so much for spending this time together with me. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.